Welcome back to Tune It Over. Hope my fancy intro is working again. That was uh, I'm enjoying that. It's a bit loud though. It comes in hot. Um, but yeah, welcome back. I said I'd have some stats for you this time. We've done a week's worth of these as of yesterday, and so is it worthwhile? Uh, well, I'm enjoying it. I get to speak to some of my favourite people, and uh, they might, might not get on the phone to me. But if I said I'm broadcasting it, they seem to be joining me, which is great. And I've got a great guest for you, of course. You might have noticed in the titles uh, for you today. But um, yeah, about between 20 and 30 people tune in live fairly consistently which is great and not all the same faces but then it gets about a thousand views a day which is brilliant across different channels and not all of them listening to the whole thing and stuff but people visiting it after the fact seem to have a bit of a theme where people will visit about 15 20 minutes and then catch up on the rest of it afterwards but yeah i'm happy with that it just feels like we've we can touch on things that are current and things that are topical and uh, and this is a great example of that. Uh, my good friend Ian Griffiths is going to join me in a second and to talk about something that is very current in and around the podiatry sphere, of which is, of course, the what I consider a leading expert in this field. I disagree with that, no doubt. He's um, a very, very humble man, but um, it's, been, it's been contentious and we want to talk about that a little bit and chew that over. Uh, we'll touch on some stuff, other, other sort of spats that have gone on in Twitter recently as well at the end, which will be interesting um, because I definitely want to get into that stuck into biomechanics and form a little bit later uh, get and try and see if i can bait ian's opinion on that so without further ado let's see if i can bring him in smoothly uh, it rarely goes smoothly but oh that looks fairly tidy ian can you hear us i can i can jack can you nice. hear me fantastic can do yes absolutely now um you should need no introduction and if anyone did not know and know of you i can't help but encourage them because because our time's short i'm just going to say just go and look him up and you'll be you'll be in for a treat or of course listen to your infamous podcast on physio matters however um what i've got you on today to talk about is that there was a a, a bit of a, a bit of a storm kicked up by some research that was published in bjsm this week last week um and I, without me giving it too much of a, of a framing or, or even being seen to spin it from here, I was wondering if you can walk us through what's happened and, and, uh, and, and then we'll start adding some meat on the bones. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for uh, bringing me on. It's exciting. Um, <laughs> if, uh, we are referring to the paper, and forgive me if I keep glancing, because it's, it's fairly new. I've had to make some notes. I've only had two or three runs through it myself, but we're looking at the paper by Nadine Rasenberg or Rasenberg and, and colleagues uh, in the BJSM, which essentially looks at um, different care for plantar heel pain in the sort of Dutch primary care setting. Um, and the, the fascination here was, was twofold for me. It was firstly how what the paper showed, which we'll come on to talk about, then somehow translated into what, what I saw being tweeted and the sort of cl the clinicians sort of interpretations and take homes, which I think is, is fascinating. But but as you know, because I know we've spoken about this, there was a there was a, an extra bit of interest where whereby it's the first time that I can recall that a paper was published and pretty much on the same day in the same journal, an editorial was published about that paper from a different group of researchers, sort of bringing up some things, some limitations, some things that needed to be taken into context. And this editorial was commissioned by the BJSM as well. And I've just I just can't think of a time that's ever happened. What used to happen is a, a paper would be published and then perhaps a month later or in the, in the next edition, you'd get a sort of letter to the editor from a, a group of different researchers who had a different take. So I don't know how quite we, we found ourselves there, but it led to confusion because some people had clearly read the article and not the editorial because the article is open access and the editorial is behind the paywall. I have actually tweeted BGSM and asked for it to be made open access so that everyone's got access to everything. Uh, I did speak to one person who'd read the editorial 
wasn't aware of the paper and the editorial <laughs> clearly made, made, made little sense. So I, I don't know how we found ourselves in that interesting scenario, but perhaps it just makes sense if, if it's okay with you, if I just summarize what the paper looked at and, and essentially what the conclusions and what the tweets were, and then we can pick into why if we, if we take a deeper dive that, that things may not be as they first seem. Is that, do you think a reasonable way to go? Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's great. Cool. So again, forgive me for looking down at my notes, but what we essentially had was, like I said, Dutch primary care setting, uh, participants with plantar heel pain, 185 participants in the study, um, although only 176 completed follow-up. So pretty good, pretty good numbers, I think we can agree. And they were randomized into one of three groups, which were, which were sort of entitled sort of GP-led treatment, um, then podiatrist-issued custom-made orthoses, and podiatrist issued sham orthoses. We've essentially got a group of individuals with all the same, you know, condition, plantar heel pain, and they've been put into these three different groups. Um, lots of lots of data. Uh, the primary outcome was pain severity after a twelve week period. And what they showed was that in the GP led group, there was less pain at a twelve week period. Um, and we'll, we'll go into that in a bit more depth in a minute. And therefore, the conclusions from this um, were interesting you know you, you go into twitter and some of the tweets that i i see uh, uh my favorite one being is this the end of podiatry um you know and as a as a podiatrist that's kind of interesting to hear um given i've not been in clinic for five months by the way so i'm already pretty uh, down on my luck um <laughs> you know is this the end for podiatry do gps need to even refer heel pain to podiatrists are, are gps the best people to see heel pain you know um Clearly, orthoses have no place in treating heel pain, et cetera, et cetera. And when we then say, okay, can we get there from, from this paper? And we look at these three groups. And, and this is the way that sort of I did it when I critiqued it and I broke it down. I said, okay, let's take a look at them group by group. So what was the, the, the GP-led care? Now, a couple of interesting things, um, and it may speak to how advanced primary care you know dutch primary care is of course but in the gp led group they um or gp sort of led care group they were giving biomechanical interventions as they referred to like silicone heel cups they were giving corticosteroid injections absolutely worth noting that in that group they had more face-to-face consultations so there may be some contextual things there as well um other thing I should have mentioned, by the way, all three groups were given education information on stretching, strengthening the Rathliff loading protocol as well, all three groups. So I look at this and speaking of you know where I work in the world, in the country, and I say, is that is that what GP care for heel pain looks like? It's certainly not necessarily my experience that that's what, what it looks like. But yeah, so are we really looking at GP-led care or GP care here? Or are we just looking at you know, pretty good care, pretty broad, broad care that, you know, considering lots of things. We go into the the, the custom or the custom and the sham group, the the orthoses groups, Um, 50 podiatrists were issuing these devices across this study, and they were writing the customer prescriptions at their discretion, which is really pragmatic. And it's the real world reflection of the real world. But actually, what that really means when it comes down to it is we, we, we don't know what was issued. Um, and ultimately, you know, if we just say custom-made orthoses didn't work in this study, well, we're not just saying apples aren't tasty. We're, you know, we're, we're saying, well, someone was given a Brayburn, someone was given a Granny Smith, someone was given a Pink Lady. What do we really know about apples here? Um, mm-hmm. When it comes to the sham group, um, and you know my thoughts on whether a sham orthosis is even possible, yeah. um, it, it was made from a 3D mould of the foot, and they basically referred to it as 
being, you know, as mechanically inert as they thought it could be. But it, once again, none of this was measured. We have absolutely no idea whether this device was mechanically inert or not because it, it wasn't looked at. It, it certainly wasn't psychologically inert as well. I think we can we can probably agree. So, you know, is the sham even a sham? Is the custom a custom? Yes, but we don't know what that means. Is the sham a sham? Probably not. And when you really take a, a second layer dive into it, you've got stats like 8% of the orthoses wearers in the study admitted to never wearing their orthoses. Um, you know, you've got little little numbers like that when you really get into the depth of the study. So, and that's admitted to, and we know that there's, gonna be, <laughs> exactly. there's gonna be always not? a group that we were always frustrated by the fact that there's there's then those that uh, that that didn't admit to it. Exactly right. Uh, I think fifty. I think I'm right in saying fifty eight percent said they wore their devices every day, which means that we've got eight percent that never wore them. Fifty eight that said they wore them every day. But you know, probably some yeah, some people in the middle as well. So, did the eight percent get we, them ruled out? We, we, we say okay. Uh, a a, there's a bit of a lag mate sorry um did the eight percent then get ruled out le le left out of the statistics you know if they've admitted to not actually complying uh, with the intervention do they get declared as lost to follow-up as well that's a good question i haven't delved properly into the stats in the last week but again we do have 170 perhaps that's why we've got that discrepancy between 185 in the study and 176 completing they may have been it may have been that attrition stat as well yeah, i need to look no i need to check the only answer is i did i'm not sure, sure. No um so we look at the three groups and we say, are they reflective of, of GP care? Probably not. Um, and also, by the way, what really I really want to defend here is this isn't reflective of podiatry care. You know, if you go to a podiatrist for, with plantar heel pain, we don't just dish out orthoses and say, see you later. You know, that, that isn't what podiatry care looks like. So anyway, um, when you look at the sort of uh, the stats, and, and I want to make sure I don't, um, I'm going to read this verbatim from the actual paper, um, because it's important I don't get this wrong. When you look at the, the stats and the discussion, they looked at the differences. Yes, there was a statistically, uh, a statistical difference between the pain levels, meaning the GP group had less pain at 12 weeks. But I'm reading this verbatim, open quote, however, the differences found were small and did not reach clinical importance, end quote. So what we've got here is, <laughs> you know, the, author, the authors are saying, clinically speaking, there wasn't really any significant difference between these three groups, despite there being a statistical uh, difference in the GP group being in slightly less pain. So clinically, are we getting a bit carried away here? We've essentially got three different groups that, that all did about the same. Now, the data here is mean pooled, meaning we do not know how individuals in the study or in any of the groups responded. We know that some will have probably done very well, some will have done not so well, and that will pull the mean somewhere into the middle. So again, when it comes to that scenario in clinic where we've got that N equals one you know, case study sitting in front of us, are we any the wiser as to how we can work out what they may or may not respond to? Um, the answer is probably not. Um, and finally, and, and, and I want to make this kind of clear when, when we go into the editorial, and this was love, you know, written by um, some, some podiatry um, legends, really, at La Trobe University in Melbourne. Professor Hilton Menz is the lead author, and a couple of other names that people will recognise. And again, I want to read this because I think this sums up things beautifully. Um, given that there was no statistic, you know, that, that essentially there wasn't any clinical significance to the difference between the groups, uh, here was what they said. Rather than concluding that treatment with custom insoles provides no additional value compared with usual GP care, it could be argued that the outcomes were similar between the groups, despite the GPs using a wider range of effective treatment options and seeing participants more frequently. So the GPs had more arrows in their quiver 
they saw them more frequently and they did get that much better than the people that were just given orthoses by a podiatrist and sent out the door. So I, I just don't know how anyone can tweet what they've been tweeting. I mean, to me, this, this is being framed as a GP versus podiatry thing. This isn't a GP versus podiatry thing. This isn't, to my mind, what GP care looks like. It's certainly not what podiatry care looks like. And you know what? What we, what we know here is that there were some reasonable results across the groups. They all had education, strengthening, raffless loading. Um, the GP group had things like heel cups, injections, face-to-face uh, -face contact. There was various, there wasn't custom-made orthoses, sham orthoses. But really what we're looking at is with the custom-made orthoses is a big barrel of apples of different brands. The sham orthoses are probably a big barrel of pairs of different brands, conference pairs. And I'm not smart enough to know another pair, but you get the idea. And what we know is that, if, you know, essentially, if you have a relationship with a good podiatrist, that's what good podiatry care looks like. All of those things. Um, so this framing of GP versus podiatrist is really confusing to me. Um, I hate the idea. And I'm not sitting here as a podiatrist trying to, I'm not, I'm not getting my knickers in a twist that, that, you know, this doesn't look good for podiatry or this doesn't look good for orthoses. You know my take on both of those uh, things. I'm looking at this saying, you know, the GP led and the podiatry led to me were irrelevant. You know, they were clinicians leading different intervention groups. There wasn't a you know, clinically significant difference between all of them. Um, and I just don't think, I think if podiatry as a profession can ride out the coronavirus, um, <laughs> then we can probably ride out this, this study. I think one of the accusation will be <clears throat> that, um, that your defence is, is out of defence. You know, it's that, and, and similarly the editorial. And so with my devil's advocacy hat on, um are you do you feel like it's always hard to to know where where your opinions and emotions sometimes come from in terms of their uh it's only when you you hear them out and hear about a, a plethora of different reasons as to why some of the conclusions were were rash but in this instance do you feel that you're frustrated what frustrates you more i think is my question like is it the is it the conclusion i doubt <laughs> knowing you or is it the the abuse and spin of well, the, the 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 mishaps that seem to have occurred within the science, especially the method of, of disseminating that science, is a bit seems a bit unusual. But then also, is it the uh, is it the spin? Like, where's where's your biggest beef if you had to point to it? I think for me, um, it's people misinterpreting what what good. What, what podiatry care is, what a podiatrist is and what they do. Um, you know, you come and see a podiatrist with plantar heel pain and the only, the only tool in their toolbox is, is are orthoses and they're going to be dished at you indiscriminately and then you may or may not get followed up and you may or may not do well. The, the idea of people considering that that is what podiatric care in, in 2020 looks like is definitely upsetting to me. Um, you know, you, as you know, I'm, I'm actually... Um, incredibly passionate about my profession and would defend it to the death. I, I'm not that worried about how orthoses come out of a study looking like, whether they look favourable or unfavourable. I don't have a badger in that bag. I, I actually give far fewer than, than many people expect. Um, I'm a pretty minimal intervener in that regard. But when, when we look at sort of what the GP group got, you know, silicone heel cups, loading protocols, you know, education, face-to-face -face contact, um, 
that is essentially what podiatry care looks like on a daily basis um, in, in my in my my world at least. What I would say is that, of course, I agree with all of that, but then I worry that, and you, you maybe don't like me saying this, but I would still I would argue that you're still unrepresentative to some extent. And the reason that those assumptions sometimes underlie these things is because people sometimes make those associations because they haven't necessarily met you or your ilk in the profession. And sometimes their podiatric colleagues are sometimes indiscriminately. It's, it is a, it is a, a punt with a, with a pair of, uh, often carbon fiber shiny and, and sometimes rather expensive insult and and that's how they described that and of course i use that term um, to make you flinch but you know what what i think that's a it's it's not it doesn't excuse any of the behavior but i'm just thinking that that's that's a variable yeah i think that's i think that's valid i i've in the last week across various uh, fora and discussion groups and, and colleagues and things um, this paper has been talked about a lot. The majority of people are pretty miffed about um, about podiatry being aligned with with just being orthoses disher outers, you know. Um, but I'm, I'm conscious that I have echo chambers, and the the, the colleagues I, I speak to, and the people I surround myself with, would probably over the years have become of of similar mindsets as well. Um, I haven't seen too many people push back because, from a defensive perspective, of okay. I make my living by giving foot orthoses and this threatens that, but I'm not going to pretend that they are those people, those people aren't out there. I'm sure they probably are, but mm. they don't seem to be the groups I, I hang around in. Um, the, the other thing of course is, is how, you know, just how do we, and, and this could be any paper we're talking about. Obviously I'm biased because this is a podiatric slash orthoses paper, but how do we look at these data and look at the, the, the context and, and the limitations of such a study and get to a point where we, where some of us are tweeting or retweeting the, the things that that have been retweeted. I mean, I just don't know how that translation is is so off. And again, it's clear to me some of the tweets I was looking at are people that haven't read this paper properly, or they have read it and they haven't perhaps uh, understood it, or perhaps they weren't even aware it existed, but they saw a tweet it fit their narrative. So they just retweeted it again. Um, and that's all fine. We all, we all do that. But like I say, if we're really going to be evidence-based or evidence-informed as a, as clinicians, whether we're podiatrists, physios, if, if we are going to stand, you know, live and die on the evidence-based hill, like we need to learn how to read these papers, critique them and consider the conclusions in the context of what was done. And, th- and by the way, this is not, um, this is not the author's fault. This is actually a, a nice, a very, very nicely designed paper. The authors are very clear about what their data, sh- uh, these data show and don't show. This isn't an author. This isn't a research. This is the research comes out. And to my mind, it's then, you know, getting from research to, to clinical practice coalface, like where mm-hmm. there, there seems to be a bit of um, a bit of a discourse. So we've got professionals succumbing to a clickbait culture in, in many ways and then sometimes ramping that up rather than actually offering the context and nuance that a professional filter you would hope would do, especially when it comes to these interventions being, you know, this is, especially when passed out, valuable data for us to clinically reason with and to comprehend how that might influence our care delivery. It, it poses more questions than answers, um, as, as most decent, decent pieces of work do. However, um, what do you think are the variables that are making us continue to be sucked in and, and succumb to, to a, a clickbait culture? I mean, put it this way, I, I, 
I am, I'm, um, I'm, I've got an interest in research. I like reading research. I've done a bit. I'm a, like a pseudo researcher. It's, it's hard. It's tricky. It's difficult. To, it's difficult to do. It's time consuming. Reading it is tricky. We, you have to be able to source it. I mean, luckily, this original article was open access. But if you don't have a BJSM um, sort of subscription, usually you've you got to actually you know, find, somehow get your hands on the paper, then find time in your life to read it. Source it. There's one hurdle. Time to read it. But then you've got to, you know, I've read this thing three or four times, and already I've shown that you asked me a question and I didn't know the answer about it. You know, I don't fully, uh, you know, I need to take a couple of more laps around this paper. You know, I've got a system I use where the first thing I do is I look through and I look at like, okay, what were the three groups? Are you know, are they what they said they were? I probably need a couple more, you know, runs through this paper to to really get hold of it. So it's not just time to read it once. It's t- it's the time yeah. and the energy and. I guess the, the 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 passion to read it four or five times, and even then, I'm not I'm not uh, versed enough to to say that I've, I'm going to fully understand the statistics. I'm going to have to speak to a friend or a colleague who does. You know, all of those are hurdles, and in the time that I have even you know badly explained that to you, I could have sent three tweets. Uh, you know, I mean, so this is where we find ourselves in this 21st century of a, uh, you know, I think I, I sent out a sarcastic tweet saying, you know, are we actually just in this for the likes and the shares or, or do we want, do we want to, that's what I think I can't, you describe want to fully comprehend and digest it, of course exists. The reason why I've past comments, right? It's that, that people won't hold judgment, or the this looks in lot to it yet, but interesting conclusions, or it's it's that it's almost like a pre-spin, and you could sort of infer then hold judgment. But the fact that it's heavy conclusions being put is uh, fascinating. I find it really interesting, just a, a simplified society, even even invested in interventions and care um i think it's it's it's, it's really um to, what i want um as well with regards to the care delivery of patients with um, it's actually not a condition in which i strongly associate with that actually as a, not, i don't associate it come other Injuries presentation um, is with orthoses. Um, that is that me? Is that a, a primary intervention? Yes, it's 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 an interesting question because we we see an awful lot of it, an awful lot of it. But um, like I say, I don't know that if someone's got heel pain, when podiatrists are necessarily the first people that they would consider seeing. Uh, they would probably go to their GP um, you know um, I'm not suggesting we need to see all of it as a first line but we, we do see an awful lot it's probably the highest percentage of things we see are all these things that the majority of us do you know as a first line intervention you know, clinically from my own clinical sort of practice probably not um, you know a lot of the things that ironically in that GP led group were done are definitely things that, that I would usually do first um, we've actually uh, I, we, I am a very small part of a bigger research group who actually have a, a best practice guide for plantar heel pain currently under under peer review. Um, and 
what we did was we did a systematic review of of the literature we also did some sort of interviews of world leading experts and we also did got the patient perspective so those kind of three pillars the evidence the clinicians and the and the actual patient voice and brought it together that you've seen one i'm sure for plant uh, for patellofemoral pain that best practice guide uh, for patellofemoral pain yeah. but there's we've got a plantar heel pain one under review um so without giving the game away you know hopefully that that will see the light of day fairly soon and it will show us okay what what does the evidence tell us what do the patients think works what are the the experts that that see heel pain every single day what do they believe works and then how do we how do we sort of synthesize all that together but it's not something i re, you know the orthoses aren't on something i personally reach for that early on yeah no it's interesting i've got a question here from derek griffin um who you won't be able to see the whole question here on screen, but I'll read it out for you. Um, hi, all. I have a question. Take strength training of plantar heel pain. The evidence is weak, especially in the long term, and hasn't really shown to be superior to doing nothing, as anything. Yet we're very happy to consider it as good care and intervention, despite a lack of data. Do we pick and choose the studies to critique? I think it's an interesting point in a few ways. And one thing I want to highlight is that yeah. for those that are just joining, Derek's mentioning the fact that we were... Um, saying that the the sort of strength and stretch interventions that were almost a standard across the groups was almost assumed to be best practice in a way. Do you think that's fair? What Dell's asking and yeah. saying? I, I think I think that's I think that's a great point, and I should also add that um, in certain circles, certainly the ones I'm in, the, the strength the strength paper um, for plantar heel pain, you know, the, the Rathlith uh, approach critiqued an awful lot, um, an awful lot. Um, strength seems to be sexy you know um you know everyone's talking about you know you can't you, know, you can't go wrong getting strong i mean i'm a podiatrist i hear you know that that's trickled down into our profession from from physiotherapy um but derek's absolutely right the the, the data for strength work in plantar heel pain is 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 lacking um to go back to our our paper that's under peer review when we did the systematic review of all the interventions so we had to look at orthoses injections shockwave um you, what you'll see hopefully when it gets published is that, that strength work doesn't feature firstly because you know there just isn't that, that that much work published but secondly the work that is published wasn't of a high enough quality and this includes the rathif paper to be included in the systematic review yet when we asked a lot of the experts what are you doing? What do you think works? There was a heavy voice that, that strength work is king. So the data and what, what the clinicians are doing, there's, there seems to have a discrepancy there. It doesn't mean that strength work isn't, you know, is, isn't best practice. It might just mean that the data hasn't yet caught up. It may well mean people are doing it because it fits their bias. But Derek's absolutely right. We, we need to critique everything with the same viewpoint, whether it's orthoses, whether it's strength work, whether it's shockwave, whether it's injections. And, and yeah, I promise you, we are just as critical of, of um, strength being the panacea for everything, which we don't believe it is, as we are orthoses being that. People are sometimes, and particularly in that paper, people were interested in its novelty, but also the mechanism of effect and the mechanism of inferred load distribution. Uh, something that hadn't done not a massive physics-based workup that I imagine knowing knowing you like in your physics, I think you'd have almost liked that that pre-work with regards to what was being inferred as to the mechanism of transmission of force and stuff. That could there could have been more done in that direction rather than just theory. But um, Derek, you, you know, I, I, I'd second what Ian's saying there in terms of my agreement is that um, yeah, we, we I don't think you'd get us to waving through strength work as if it's uh, 
as if it's something that should be just taken for granted as being a, a force for good, excuse the pun. Uh, but similarly, I do also agree, Derek, that I see that happening. I do see that assumption. It's interesting that that comes through on your work, Ian. I'm going to have to say, you don't mind once that's published that you're going to come on this show and any other show that we're attached to in order to, to talk about that. Can I get you on the hook for that on air? The best practice guide. Yeah, happy to. I, I'm a I'm a very small part. Um, I could probably get a smarter person who did more work on the actual project on for you instead. They'd be superior to me. But if if they're too busy, I'm happy to uh, to, to to be. We'll get we'll get, we'll get them on, and you can just be shining the shoes in the background. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll we'll do something like that. But yeah, thanks so much for your time. I, I did mention to um, we're coming up to to time, and I, I've always been trying to keep these to half an hour. Um, so we will wrap up. But um, one of the things that I'm I'm going to be talking about tomorrow is that it's sort of rattled on a little bit on Twitter. Greg Lehman and uh, strength and conditioning coach, I think he's called Mike Boyce or Boyd or something like that, um, had started to have a back and forth whereby it was sort of. Uh, strength and conditioning coach inferring that a lot of people he sees out running shouldn't be running they should be walking instead because it's just fast limping and and greg sort of uh somewhat outraged by that because he's someone that, that doesn't think that that those those biomechanical things that he's he's viewing are necessarily faults as much as he might do and they've had a back and forth that's not been pleasant but it's been great to watch and so we'll be talking a little bit about that not just the, the spat but also how important is it how, how what can we deduce from running form and how judgmental should we be of someone on the street that's trying to get fit really i think that's another question societally but You've got you've you've got away without me throwing that to you, Ian, because we're out of time. Uh, but feel free to join on the comments tomorrow, no doubt. But thanks so much for your time; really appreciate it. Where can people find out more about you? What are your social media handles? Uh, so I am uh, sports underscore pod on Twitter and sports podiatry info on Instagram. And you've got your own podcast, Run Chat Live. No. Pod chat live. Pod chat live. That was rude. Run chat live is the one that copied us. I'll plug, I'll plug run chat live as well. So we love Matt <laughs> Philip. But sorry, um, pod chat live um, is a, is a great show. Not dissimilar to this one in terms of its streaming, etc. So uh, join join uh, Craig and Ian for that as well. So thanks a lot as ever for your time, mate. It's been really interesting. No doubt the discussion will roll on, and we'll link to the paper for those that are asking for it. Thanks, mate. Just my fancy outro to go. Hope uh, hope you're all well. I'll speak to you tomorrow.